and Prince and their ever-growing brood of adorable children were an image that gladdened the nation's heart. Or at least the part of the nation that wasn't complaining about how much all this domestic bliss was costing. In the 1840s, the royal family became, for the first time, not just a symbol of power, but also a role model. Everybody wanted to play happy families like the royal couple, who, unlike their predecessors, did not have lovers or indulge in gambling or other decadent pursuits. Victoria and Albert may have given each other lavish presents in private, but in public they seemed like an ordinary bourgeois couple, just with better clothes. Their genius as a couple was not just to have one of the most successful royal marriages ever, but to reinvent the British monarchy as a cosy incarnation of domestic bliss that everyone could aspire to. Their fights may have been rocket-fueled inside the palace, but in the public gaze, they were a model of serenity. Their success at projecting themselves as the perfect couple has meant that the real drama behind Victoria and Albert's marriage has been largely forgotten, an oversight which I hope to put right in the series and in this book. It's important to know how hard they had to work on their marriage, as the problems they faced were those that will resonate with many people today, even if they did have a lot more money and help and much better jewellery. Victoria and Albert inspired a nation in the 19th century. They can still inspire us today. Daisy Goodwin, screenwriter of Victoria Fact and Fiction Screenwriter Daisy Goodwin on writing Victoria. The great joy for me about writing Victoria is that I am never lost for inspiration. The place I start is always the diaries, not so much for a factual record of her life, but to get that unmistakable tone of voice, observant, emphatic, passionate. In the diaries and letters that are in Victoria's own hand, most of the diaries were transcribed after her death by her younger daughter Beatrice, you can actually see her state of mind. The pages are full of capital letters and emphatic underlining. And after Albert's death, you can see the grief in the way that her usually beautiful script degenerates into an incoherent scrawl. But while I am inspired by the diaries, they are not wholly writ. Indeed, they are only reliable as an indication of Victoria's state of mind, and sometimes not even that, as Victoria's diaries were only semi-private. In the early years, they were read both by her mother and Baroness Lazen, and I'm sure that Albert might have glanced through them during their marriage, too. She doesn't, for example, ever write about her rows with Albert even though we know from contemporary accounts that their relationship was not a bed of roses. A woman who habitually describes her husband as an angel is, to my mind, protesting a little too much. My guess is that after a particularly stormy row with Albert, Victoria would assuage her guilt by writing about him in particularly glowing terms. Her diaries are rather like the carefully staged portraits of the royal couple, in which Albert sits down casually, while Victoria stands behind him, all wifely attention. The truth of the matter is that no one, not even Albert, could sit in the Queen's presence without her permission, so there is nothing natural about Albert's pose.
Although I was trained as a historian, when I am writing Victoria, I approach the material as a dramatist. My historical training means that I know what the parameters of credibility are, but it is my fictional empathy that allows me to put words into my characters' mouths that are emotionally true. There are some people who have taken exception to the way I portrayed the relationship between the teenage Victoria and her first Prime Minister, Lord Melbourne, claiming there could never have been such an intense romantic bond between monarch and minister. There are also many more people who wish that I had disregarded history entirely and made that bond even more intense. There is some steamy Vic-Bourne fan fiction out there. But while Victoria probably didn't go to Brockett Hall to propose to Lord M, as I had her do in Series 1, there is no doubt that she was as smitten with him as a teenage girl can be, and he felt the same way about her.